welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Ministry. Thank you for listening we to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgracemenifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall be your offspring. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. So this is our second week of Advent, and uh, hopefully you guys are getting all ready for Christmas and everything. Advent, as Josh was talking about, means coming or arrival. And this Advent season reminds us how God's people waited for thousands of years for the first coming of Jesus. But it also, historically, Advent's all about uh, reminding us that Jesus is coming again. So it's a longing, seeing their longing for the first coming, but also reminding ourselves of our longing for his second coming and that he's going to make his sure promises come true when he returns. And so we have for you guys, um, we send it out via email with some physical copies too of an Advent guide if you want one of those. Um, we, we have them going out over the email list or you can talk to me and I'll make sure you get one. Um, we have a little guide for you guys to practice Advent. So each week you'll have something to do at home where you sing a song, you light a candle, you read some scripture about what we're doing each week. And the benefit of uh, practicing Advent, guys, because we do this every year, you might wonder why we do it. One of the benefits of this is, um, have you, some of you parents had this experience where, you know, it's Christmas morning, you know, all the paper's shredded, all the boxes, you're getting out the trash bags, you've made this huge environmental catastrophe by your gathering, and had that feeling, that kind of sinking feeling that you missed the point. You guys ever had that? I've had that very distinctly. Or uh, what can be just as bad is right before you do the gifts, you realize you missed the point, and then you try to make this like deep swerve to Jesus as somebody who just missed their freeway exit, right? And you know, like, hold on, kids, like we have to do something here. I know as a Christian parent, I need to read you something. And what was that thing? What passage would be good? You know, you've been in that place. The cool thing about practicing Advent is. For each week leading up to Christmas, we're looking at uh, Jesus' coming, and, and so you can just enjoy all the festivities knowing you're not going to miss the meaning. So we don't have to, on the one hand, just like completely forget about Jesus and swerve to him at the last minute, or on the other hand, kind of just be real downers the whole time. That's not the real meaning. That's not the real meaning. That's not the real meaning. We're constantly saying that to our kids. If we practice Advent, we don't have to do that. We can, we can enjoy the whole thing and not miss the meaning. So last week, uh, Gabe was in Genesis 3, looking at the fall, and we saw how Jesus is the promised son of, son of Eve, that he's the son that's been given to us to destroy the works of Satan, sin, and death. This morning, we're going to see how Jesus is the promised son of Abraham, uh, a son who is given to bless all nations. So the story goes like this. So uh, right after the fall, Adam and Eve were given the promise of a son that would defeat Satan, sin, and death. Thousands of years later, God comes to Abram, probably about 2,000 years B.C., and he comes to Abraham, and Abraham at that point is a man living in Ur, modern-day Iraq, which is kind of a wild thing, and the Lord promised him that he would make him a great nation, not just make him a great nation, but one of his descendants would bless all nations, 
So what we're seeing here is the same son that was promised to Eve to defeat Satan, sin, and death is the same son that's promised to Abraham to bless all nations. And what we're going to see through this series is that as the promise is made to different people, it becomes clearer who this son is and what he'll do. And so you have the covenant of grace, that's the covenant made to to Adam and Eve, and then you have this Abrahamic covenant we're going to talk about today, and there's another promise of this son, this same Messiah, and then next week we're going to look at the covenant to David, and we're going to see the promises made to David of this same son to come, who come through his line, and what, what God promises through him. But here in Genesis 15, God had already made the promise uh, years before, and it just seems to be going nowhere, okay? So this is several years after he first makes a promise to Abraham, be a great nation, have a child that's going to bless all nations. The problem is they're childless. The problem is they're like 80 years old at this point. You guys remember we've been in the book of Hebrews, what the book of Hebrews said about Abraham's reproductive prospects? What did it say? He was good as dead. You remember how much nicer he spoke about Sarah? She was past the age. It was very nice of him. But Abraham here, he's feeling the weight of disappointment. I mean, it's been years. There's this promise he's going to have a son that's going to bless the whole world. But how? Right? And so doubt starts to set in. And with doubt, fear starts to set in. And I just want to take a moment to just acknowledge that some of us are in that place right now, right? Any of you relate to Abraham in this? That you're fearful that, you know, perhaps your life is going to be like one big dead end. That's the thing that Abraham's facing right here. Is that his life is going to somehow be one big dead end. You know, like Abraham, you may have set out in great hope, you accumulated some things, and then just when you thought your dreams were coming together, it stalled out. And uh, basically every single human being, I think, will get to a point like that in their lives where they are filled with a a doubt and a a dread like Abraham had. And maybe it comes through tragedy. Uh, Maybe it comes through some, like, personal failure. You know, you failed so deeply that you feel like your life is going to come to a dead end. Or it's just that, like existential dread that people have of just living in an uncertain world and all the things that can happen. You know, you just worry about what could happen. Perhaps it's a a midlife crisis. That's a very real thing, I can tell you from personal experience. Not having one at the moment, but well acquainted with it. Abraham here, he's 80. He's going to live to 175. He's due for one. So he's at a place here where he has this sense of, you know, dread. Is my life going to be one big dead end? And guys, if there is no God, or at least no God that keeps his promises, that's exactly where everyone's life is going to end. A big dead end, meaningless abyss. I mean, that's the reality, right? If there's no God, or at least there's no God who keeps his promises, that's where everybody's life ends up. But there is a God, right? And he does keep his promises. And he'd made these great promises to Abraham. Promises of a great future, right? Promises that he would be a great nation. Promises that one of his offspring, one of his descendants would bless all nations. And he's made us great promises too. That's what makes the difference, right? That's how we can face the the suffering and the darkness and the uncertainty of this world is God's made us great promises. He's made us promises that he's going to set all things right. When he comes in his second coming, Jesus will be the solution to all of our problems. Amen? Name your problem, Jesus will be the solution to that problem when he returns, right? None of us have any problems that a good resurrection won't solve, right? When Jesus returns, he's going to set all things right. But we've been waiting a long time, and you will wait a long time probably, like Abraham waited a long time. And the world and our lives don't seem to be coming all together. Some of you guys are at a place in your life where it feels like it's all just about to come together. Many of us live in a place where we don't feel like it's coming together, 
I mean, do you guys look at the world and you go, you look out at the world and you think, we've got this place basically fixed up. Like, we're just like some finishing touches and we got this world less, like dialed in. Any of you guys feel like that? So close. No, right. No, we look at ourselves, we look at our sin and our weakness, just like Abraham and Sarah looked at their old bodies, and we think we can't be the solution to this. Like, there's no human solution to the major problems of the world. We can't be the solution. We need Christ to come. And so in verse 1, it's so cool. The Lord comes to comfort his friend Abraham. It says in James that Abraham was a friend of God. Verse 1, the Lord comes to Abraham to comfort his friend. He knows he's made this promise, and and Abraham's struggling. He says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be great. I love that. I love that he just comes alongside him. How how many of you guys have experienced that, like in your dark times, that the Lord just like pursues you, and he comes, and you may walk in darkness for a while, but he comes up, and he, he encourages you, and he draws near. And I love how honest Abraham is with the Lord, right? Look at verse two. Abraham says, oh Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. There's nothing else in the Bible about this guy. Totally no-name guy. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will, will be my heir. And, uh, and I love how the Lord encourages him. He says, this man shall not be your heir, for your own son shall be your heir. And I love how the Lord deals with Abraham in his doubt and discouragement. He doesn't come up and he doesn't say like, when are you going to start believing me? When are you going to just listen? Like, what, what more do you need? Like, God appearing to you? I've done that, you know? He doesn't, he doesn't act like that. He's so patient with his doubts and with his discouragements. You know, he draws near. And the Lord's like that with you this morning. If you're in a place where you're, you know, in doubt and discouragement, guys, the Lord is super patient with our doubts and fears. Do you believe that? The Lord is super patient with our doubts and fears. There's a passage in Jude that says, have mercy on those who doubt. And that's what the Lord does, Right? He has mercy on those who doubt. And his heart towards you is just like this. And my prayer for this message is that like, he's doing this with you today, right? That there you are, you're in doubt, you're in discouragement, and the Lord's drawing up next to you like this through this passage to, to encourage you to believe. And he tells Abraham, this is really cool, he says, hey, let me show you something. Look at verse 5. And the Lord brought him outside and said, look at the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Isn't that cool? Takes him outside and he goes, let me show you something. Have you guys done that lately? You guys been outside at night? Tasha and I have a habit of doing walks at night. And this time of year, it can be like really clear. I mean, for here, there's a lot of lights and stuff. But you can see the moon and the stars. And it's crazy. This time of year, you can see Jupiter. You can see Saturn. I mean, Jupiter's huge, really obvious in the sky. And they say there's like 5,000 stars you can see if the sky's good. Like if you go out to the desert or something, it's like, oh, there they are, you know. But, you know, you figure this was probably good visibility, although his vision was probably terrible. So I don't know if it balances out. But he's looking up in the sky, and the Lord's saying to him, look at all the stars. And verse 6 says that Abraham believed the Lord, and he was counted to him as righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? Didn't you love that verse, verse 6? The gospel's that simple, by the way, guys. Daniel was just talking earlier in our confession of sin, how we, how we tend to like try to earn our own righteousness. We try to like, or, or we feel like accepted by God if we've had a good week. Or, you know, maybe, maybe we believe that Jesus paid for our sins, but we need to somehow maintain our salvation. Or, or our assurance becomes totally wrapped up in how good we think we've done this week. Which is insane, right? It's absurd, right? How good would be good enough? 
How good would your week have to be this week to know for sure you were saved? You're like, well, better than it was. Well, how good, though? Do you know what I mean? There's no way to measure this. This is no way to live, right? It's based totally on Christ's righteousness, and you see the beauty of this. If you believe the gospel, if you trust in Christ, it says he was counted as righteous. And I'm thinking this morning, if you don't know Christ or you're not sure or you're not sure where you stand with him, if you're to trust in Jesus this morning, you will immediately be seen as righteous as Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel message. Isn't that beautiful? And it's so simple. And you see how quickly it was. And this is before, you know, he offered Isaac or did anything exciting. He's just wandering around doubting and depressed. And he believed God. He believed him and he was counted as righteous. So simply believe in Jesus and he will count you righteous. And, but one thing I want to focus on in this message is that we should really think about how far-fetched this promise is. Because for us, it already happened. So we're like, yeah, of course. You know, Abraham's promise, childless old guy, childless old woman, the promise they're going to be a descendant that's going to bless every nation of the world. And we're like, well, yeah, of course. Because there's no of course to this. It's so unlikely, right? He says it was even unlikely later when Isaac was born. You think, oh, well, they got Isaac. Now it's a sure thing. They're like a tiny little nation of people, right, in the Middle East. No one cares about them. Like, and they're going to bless the whole world? This is super far-fetched. In, in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, it says, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This tiny little family is going to bless all nations. You know, it sounds a little grandiose, doesn't it? It would at the time. You know, other people, he runs into other people, and he's like, oh, how are you? Y'all good? I'm good, you know. God promised me I'm going to bless every single nation through one of my kids. And they're just like, okay, he's a little, you know, he's a little grandiose, you know. Like, everybody's impressed with their kids, but this guy, this is a little too impressed, you know. Like, what do you have going for you? I mean, think about the nations that were around at this time. They're not thinking like, oh, good, you know, like the Messiah is going to come from Abraham. You know, Bronze Age China was not like, you know, looking for anything from them at this time, right? The, the workers that were putting the final touches on the Stonehenge were not like keeping up with the progress of Abraham's family. Like, how's it going? How's that Messiah thing going? Like, no one cares, right? The Olmec people of ancient Mexico were not holding their breath going like, well, when's he going to come? They don't care, no one cares. The world's a big place. Why would Abraham and his family possibly be able to bless all nations? You know, we think about it now, we're like, of course. There's no of course to this. There's no of course to this for a very long time. It would have seemed very grandiose. It would have seemed like delusions of grandeur if he were to tell people this. And yet God doubles down, right? Throughout the Old Testament, he doubles down on this promise. Isaiah 49, 6, the Lord says this of his Messiah. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Isn't that amazing? The Lord's like thinking about his son coming as the Messiah, and he's like, it's too light a thing if you just rescue this one nation. I'm going to send you to all the nations. And then in 2,000 years later, after the promise was made to Abraham, God the Son becomes a man. Jesus comes as the true son of Abraham. He's finally born, right? And when he's finally born, Jesus is finally born, who comes bringing him gifts? The drummer boy? No, I'm just kidding. We played that earlier. I couldn't believe it. I was like, ooh, this is not good. People are going to be visitors. They're going to be like, little drummer boy? Like, this bad theology. These people don't even read the Bible. Or know anything about babies, you know? Playing drums for babies. So who brought, who brought Jesus these gifts? Wise men, right? Yeah, the wise men. 
Yeah, the nations, right? These are totally the nations already starting to stream to Jesus, right? The Magi, they came from the east, probably from Babylon. And they weren't these like sanitized wise men you see in your nativity scene or something like that. They were total weirdos. I mean, these were people that practiced astrology and dream interpretation and magic. I mean, today they'd be like New Age people, magicians, sorcerers. They're dabbling in all kinds of things that the Old Testament forbids. So you couldn't get more Gentile than having Magi show up. And like, I don't know, do you let them touch your kid? Probably not, right? Like, but what's going on here at the first Christmas? The nations are already being magnetically drawn to Jesus, right? It's already starting. Like, even at his birth, these guys just randomly show up. It's incredible, right? And Jesus's ministry and his life were, were in Israel and focused on Israel. But then at the end of his life, you guys remember the Greeks came looking for him? The Greeks came looking and inquiring about Jesus. And Jesus said this in response. He says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And what he was talking about, he's talking about the cross. When I'm drawn up on the cross, I'm going to draw all people to myself. And on the cross, Jesus paid for the sins of all who will trust in him, sinners from every nation, so that he could make both Jews and Gentiles true sons and daughters of Abraham, true daughters and sons of God. All who believe this promise of this Messiah who trust in Jesus are counted righteous just like Abraham was that night. He believed God and was counted as righteousness. Everyone who trusts in Christ gets that. It gets that free grace. And that, that free grace just has a magnetic effect on the world, right? Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And that's exactly what happened, right? So he dies on the cross for the sins of the nations. And then he rises from the dead. And then 40 days later, he ascends onto his throne. He's reigning. And then 10 days later, Pentecost. And the drawing of the nations happens. Just like Jesus said. By the way, at that point, it's a very unlikely promise still, right? This is a Jewish man that was killed by Romans, killed in the kind of death that only slaves endured. You'd think that'd be the end of it. It was the end of all the other messiahs that were around during that time. And so what happens? Pentecost starts. You have thousands of Jews who were visiting from all over the nations at the feast, which means these guys get converted, thousands of them, they return home. And right from the immediate start there at Pentecost, you already have Christians in North Africa and Turkey and the Arabian Peninsula and Iraq and Iran and the Mediterranean and uh, Rome. Philip, remember, later shares the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. He goes home. Ethiopia actually became a Christian nation before Rome did. It's the oldest Christian nation. And as early as the first century, there were churches in Egypt. In the second century, there's churches in Sudan and Tunisia, a little further down into Africa. You guys realize the church fathers, Tertullian, Origen, Athanasius, and Augustine were all North Africans. Isn't that amazing? All those church fathers were North Africans. And then by the third century, you have churches in India, into sub-Saharan Africa by the fourth century. Britain by the 4th century, interesting at the same time, right? You think, oh, this is a European religion. Nope. Got to Britain in the 4th century. Ireland by the 5th century, that was St. Patrick, remember? He's going through Ireland, sharing the gospel. The gospel went to China in the 8th century, Russia in the 9th century, all the way to Iceland in the 10th century. And then by the 18th century, the gospel finally arrives to the most exotic of places, the Inland Empire, <laughs> the official ends of the earth. So, Jesus said this, though. He said, by the time he returns, by the time he returns, the gospel is going to go to all nations. Isn't that amazing? He said this. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, 
and then the end will come. It's interesting, right? Does that something that needs to happen before the end comes? And we think nations, you think, well, isn't in all countries. Nations there is ethnoi. It doesn't mean nation states. It means people groups. It means groups of people, and these would be groups of people that are isolated either by language or geography or have some way that makes them distinct and it makes it a little harder for the gospel to come in. And uh, unreached people groups would be groups like that that have less than 2% Christians. And so we still have a bunch of those, 7,391 of them, according to one count, of people groups. Some of these are very small, right? So there are groups of people where there's less than 2% Christians, uh, a, a place that really the gospel hasn't penetrated yet. And when all those people groups are reached, Christ will return. And you get to be a part of that. It's another motivation for missions. You get to be a part of that. Um, on Thursday, I was talking to Holly. You guys know Holly, our missionary in Cambodia? I was talking to her on Thursday, and uh, she started this group called Girls House of Refuge. Um, it has a different name now, but she started it in 2009. And we've known her since like 06. She was in our college ministry. And uh, she went, three years later, she starts this discipleship home for girls and women who are at risk of trafficking or have been trafficked. And she's just had amazing success in conversions, changed lives. It's incredible. And I'll send you guys more stuff over email. But I was talking to her, and she's like, we started something new. And it's like, of course. And so the new thing is these kids clubs, which are like, like an after-school program, except these kids are not in school. So it's like a, they, they come, they do crafts, they learn about Jesus. And she's just having an amazing time doing that because there's just, these kids are just like not valued. They're on the street. They're at risk for all kinds of hideous things to be done to them. And she does these outreaches. And uh, she wanted us to pray because she's going to do something for the parents on the 14th. So this week, you guys could be praying for all these kids that have done the kids clubs. She's going to bring the parents in and share the gospel with them. And uh, she's super excited about it. But it's just amazing the kind of ministry. They've also been involved in some of these girls that were trafficked actually justice towards their perpetrators. And so they'll get lawyers and they'll, these guys are getting sent to prison. And then she was cracking me up and she goes, then we start a prison ministry. So then we can go in and we can share the gospel with them. And I'm like, this is a whole system, you know, like <laughs> take about, take about the trafficking, get the trafficker put in jail, go into the jail, share the gospel. It's like, I think she's closed the loop here, but she's just got like a total passion for it. It's amazing. And then I was talking to Lorian same day and she's a missionary of ours who's doing translation work for an unreached people group. I can't mention the country name right now because it's being recorded, but I could tell you afterwards. And uh, she's doing local evangelism there. It's very evangelistic, but she's also working on translating the scriptures with a group that's translating the scriptures for an unreached people group that's never had the Bible in their language. And uh, she said they're doing a cool thing. It's uh, these phone apps. So they're, now that they have some of the books translated, and it's in a Muslim context place, so they put out Genesis and some of these other books first. And uh, it's, it's both reading it and then listening to it. And she's putting out over phone apps. And these people are like, I don't know if I can describe them anymore, but not the people you think would have phones, but apparently everybody has a phone. So, and what's neat is this language doesn't have very many apps in their language because it's you know, not a real common deal. So it's like the app store is not filled with things in their language. And then there's a scripture and then a link for more. So it's super cool. So we're going to send them some extra financial support for Christmas, and I'll, we'll keep you guys posted on that. But one thing I want to mention about Holly and Lorian is they're homegrown missionaries. Both of these people we've known for a long time. Both of them went to the college ministry that you know many of you guys were a part of before we started this church. And uh, if you're called to foreign missions, we will send you, like for sure, right? We'll send you. We'll support you. Will we support them? You guys? 
Like, if there was somebody in our body and they were called to foreign missions, like, would we just, like, make sure we paid for that whole thing? Yeah, we totally would. And we always have. It's really cool. Like, Lorraine needed, like, I forget how much she needed for some travel. Well, how much was it? 1700 or something? And then you guys gave 7000 And I was like, so it's yours because they said it's for you, <laughs> you know? She was blown away. But stuff like that happens all the time. So if you're, if you're called to go, like, let us know. Or if you think you might be called to go, we'd love to send you. One more missions thing. Last year, we started supporting church planting in Albania. So if you guys know Dan, the amazing reader of scripture that comes up here sometimes, his son is involved there. And uh, you guys all supported two church plants, one urban and one rural. And then the translation of a book called Delighting in the Trinity, which is such a cool book on the Trinity. And, and that, Albania is a Muslim context place. And so it's so cool to have a book that not only like talks about the Trinity, but talks about how awesome it is that God is triune. And then with that place, with Albania, we do want to send short-term teams. So if that's something you're interested in, maybe talk to Josh or one of us, and uh, we'd love to kind of get that together too. So, And let's not forget our mission here, because we too are like at the ends of the earth. We don't usually think about that. We think the gospel started here, you know? It surely started in Costa Mesa, you know, and then went to the whole world. And it's like, no, no. It started over there and came here, right? And um, as we live together as a, as a church here, we actually get to be a part of his mission as well. And you can do that simple ways, like you share some sermon audio from our church, you invite people, which many of you do, super cool. We have invite cards for you guys for Christmas, invite neighbors, we got more of those if you need them. But um, one thing to know about our context is we're dealing with something, you guys have probably heard about like how de-churched our area is, and you probably have seen it, right, where people that used to faithfully go to church don't go to church anymore. And I uh, was looking at a study recently about that, and they were saying that most people that have kind of fallen off going to church, they've come to church, maybe they just moved or something, they never found another church, most of them would go to church if they were invited. I was like, oh, I thought they were all like super angry and disgruntled. <laughs> and it turns out like a lot of people would come if they were invited. I was like, oh, well, I can, yeah, I could do that. I mean, I might not be able to deal with every angry thing they have going, but I could certainly invite them to church. So anyway, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And there's one more cool thing that I want to mention in regards to this spread of the gospel. Romans 11 says that there's one other thing that's going to happen. So the gospel goes out to all nations, and he returns. But it also says in Romans 11, it says that this gospel wave that goes out to all nations will, after it's reached the Gentiles, circle back to the Jewish people. Let me read you this. It's really cool. Romans eleven twenty five 25 says this. Lest you be wise in your own eyes, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers and sisters. And then listen to this. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And in that way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish all ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sin. Super cool. So another thing we can look forward to, God spreads the gospel to all nations, and then that, that wave of missions somehow circles back to, to the, the people from which the Messiah came in the beginning. Isn't that cool? That's exciting to look forward to. If you see that happening, or when you see that happening, if you live that long, like that would be a really clear sign, wouldn't it? You'd be like, this has not happened before. And it's going to be amazing. And Paul says in Romans 11 that it'll be like seeing life from death. And all this is headed, guys. All this is headed. What God's doing in, the, in his missions. 
All of this is headed to where all of Abraham's children, both Jew and Gentile, are gathered around the throne to worship Christ. Let me, let me show it to you. It's in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I look. So this is a future thing, the gathering of, of all God's people through this process of missions and evangelism. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, does that sound familiar? And from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. You guys remember how the Lord brought Abraham outside his tent, and he looked up at night, and he saw the stars? And he says, this is what your descendants are going to be like? These are them. Look at all the stars. Isn't that amazing? From every nation. Did you guys know that, that Christianity is the most diverse movement in human history? There's nothing like it. Not even like political ideology or anything has been as diverse as this movement. It's happening, guys. The, the promise to Abraham is happening. We're seeing it happen, right? It's amazing. It's amazing, too, when you think about like, when you think about the people he had to work with. You know, you guys know church history. There are people like us, very flawed people, and that look at what the Lord is doing. Like, what explains this? It's amazing. You know, I said in the beginning, this promise was super unlikely, right? We have to remember that, and yet here it is. And what's the explanation? Just that God keeps his promises, amen? Keeps his promises. This is the one we're seeing. This is super unlikely, guys. Childless elderly couple, a family that would bless all nations, a child who would bless all nations, and yet we see it fulfilled before us. I mean, today, 2.4 billion people, roughly, claim Christ. It's happening, right? Look at all the stars. It's amazing. Like, our history is divided B.C. and A.D. I mean, they're a little monkeying with that to make it less obvious, but it's B.C. and A.D., right? Like, we live right now in the year of our Lord 2023, and look at what the son of Abraham has done. No one has blessed more people than Jesus. Like, not even close. So I'm like, well, what about that other guy? You know, it's like, no, they haven't. Vast majority, guys, vast majority of countries today celebrate his birthday. Most of them don't know why. But that even too shows that, like, the son of Abraham has blessed all nations. And we know why. Jesus is the savior of the world. And like Abraham, guys, we're waiting, right? We're waiting. They waited for his first coming. We're waiting for his second coming. Just like Abraham was waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, we're waiting for promises to be fulfilled. The mega promise really is, the, is Romans 8. You know, God promised he's going to work all things together for your good, which is a mega promise, right? He promised he's going to work all things together for your permanent good, Right? And when he comes, he's going to set all things right. I mean, like I said earlier, you name the problem, Jesus will be the solution. At the second coming, he will show us. He'll go beyond just setting things right. He'll show us how all of our pain and all of our struggles and all of our losses were actually worth it. That they somehow played into making it better. And that's hard to believe. I mean, it's hard to believe with what you guys have been through. It's hard to believe with the things you will go through. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, some say of suffering in this life, no future bliss can make up for it. You ever felt like that? There's like no future bliss that can make up for this. And then he says this, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. Isn't that amazing? Heaven once attained will work backwards 
and turn even that agony into glory. And, and it can be hard to see how that's possible. It seems like an impossible promise, especially when you're sick, or you're lonely, you're in pain, you struggle with fears and doubts. But guys, this promise to Abraham seemed impossible too. And he's doing it. We're seeing him do it, right? It's as if in this message, the Lord took you outside and he shows you the sky and he says, he says, look at all the stars. <laughs> he's all, look at what I can do. I can convert the whole world. I can certainly convert the world and make it new. I can certainly um, work all things together for your good. Look at what I've done. I do what I say I'm going to do. I'm going to make all things new for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we've uh, seen your work in your son Jesus, and we are thoroughly impressed, amazed with what you could do with, with just this couple so long ago. And it's just objectively true that he has blessed all nations already. And that should settle it, um, Lord. But we struggle. We struggle with doubts. We struggle with discouragements. We struggle with not holding on to that, but not being as happy in your promises as we should be. But Lord, you are so patient. I just thank you for the way you kind of came around Abraham and encouraged him. And I just pray for all these people and for myself that that that's what we would get in this season from you is you draw near. You say that you draw near to people who are crushed in spirit that are, that are in places of difficulty. And Lord, we feel it. We feel your presence. We're thankful for it. And we just pray, Lord, that you'd continue to do that work. Glorify your son, Lord, even as we sang earlier, Christ be magnified. We're so excited about that you made a promise that, that he will be magnified, that his glory will appear. And when he appears in glory, we'll be like him. All sin removed, all suffering, all weakness, all temptation. That from our very insides, we'll want to do all the things you've always wanted us to do. We'll wholeheartedly serve and love you. We see him, we'll be like him. We just thank you for that, Lord. Spirit, we pray that you would, as we worship, and as we take the Lord's Supper, Lord, we pray that you would fill us and feed us and strengthen us and fill us with joy. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.